The problem is that these changes may require change, and we don't like change. Many of us don't want to go through the experience of change. It can be difficult. Change is hard. Means we might have to move in a different direction than we've been going in. The good news is, if we're truly seeking change, we don't have to go through that by ourselves. God has provided a way for us to change, which brings us to today's message and our Core 52 lesson for the week. Beginning a new study today uh, on the book of Acts which was written by Luke, who was the only non-Jewish author of the Bible. So Luke was an outsider looking in. If you've ever known the sting of being on the outside looking in, then Luke's perspective is going to bring some fresh air to your spiritual journey. And we can walk with Luke from the outside to the very heart of God. That's what this series out of the book of Acts is going to be all about. Thus, we're calling it outside in. Uh, and God provided a way that all of us who were on the outside could draw near to Him. And you know the way, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in the soul of a Christian and molds us in the, to the people that God wants us to be. I want you to think about that. The change isn't going to be just you trying to make the change. It's going to be the Holy Spirit who is our constant partner in this. He is our constant trainer. He's the one saying, oh, you can get it. You can get one more rep in. Come on, let's go. It's the Holy Spirit. And this is what it means that God lives in us. The Holy Spirit is God's presence in our lives. So, several things today. First of all, Jesus had promised the Holy Spirit would come. Should have been no surprise to his disciples. On several occasions, Jesus made it known to them that the Holy Spirit would, in essence, replace him once Jesus was gone. When Jesus left, ascended back to the Father. It was God's plan for the Holy Spirit to take up residence within His followers. So we go to Acts chapter 1, and in verse 5 we read, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was saying this to those disciples. Then in verse 8, He says, But you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus spoke those words just before his ascension. He was preparing his disciples for what was coming. He basically reminded them that the Holy Spirit would give them the power and the wisdom that they would need to proclaim Him throughout the world. And I'll give you a little hint. That same Spirit gives you the power and the wisdom to proclaim Him in your part of the world. Amen? He had previously told them this, this would happen. In John 14, beginning in verse 12, we read, 
Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. And then he said in verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus knew that after his death and resurrection, he would ascend back to the Father. But he was not going to leave his disciples alone to do the work of building his church. His Spirit would come upon them and be in them. He would, in essence, repeat this a little later in John chapter 16, beginning in verse 7. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what will make he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, and that is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So Jesus laid this all out for his disciples. When he spoke these words, I don't think they had any clue what he was talking about. They had no understanding. Later, it would make sense. Soon after Jesus' ascension, they would experience exactly what Jesus had foretold. The Holy Spirit came upon the disciples in power on the day of Pentecost. We read about that in Acts chapter 2. We read that Jesus' words were fulfilled. Acts 2 records the day of Pentecost which would prove to be the first day of the Christian church. We read in Acts 2, verses 1 through 13, about how the Holy Spirit moved within the disciples. They went out and they began to speak in different languages. People from different nations could understand in their own language the message about Jesus. Tongues of what seemed like fire came upon them, sort of hovered over their heads. 
In Acts 2, 14 through 36, Peter gets up and he begins to preach this powerful first gospel sermon in which he spoke about David, the great Jewish king. And he revealed how David was Jesus' ancestor and that Jesus was the promised Messiah, promised not only by David but the prophets of old. He told the people that Jesus was crucified and buried, but that he had come back to life, and that all of these disciples who were speaking now were witnesses of this. He explained that they, the people, had crucified the Son of God. At that point, the people believed this message. They knew that they had sinned against God. What are we going to do? In Acts 2.37, we read, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? In other words, what shall we do to be saved? How can we make up for this mistake we made? And Peter replied in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter's message moved the people to the point where they wanted to know, how could they get back right with God? They killed his son. How in the world could God ever forgive them? How could they be saved? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. In the name of Jesus, and you can be saved. And he said to them that not only would their sins be forgiven, but they would receive a gift. The Holy Spirit, the Advocate. Not only that, but all who would follow their example in the future would receive the exact same promise. These people responded and In verse 41, we read that about 3,000 of them were baptized into Christ that day. Imagine that. All of a sudden, over 3,000 people responding to the gospel message and getting baptized. What a powerful moment. But it was the work of the Holy Spirit that made it possible. The Holy Spirit moved into every one of those people. And he began to make his changes in them. The Holy Spirit is still moving in a powerful way today, my friends. Sometimes in ways that make us feel a little uncomfortable. Now, I'm certain that we don't fully understand all the things that the Holy Spirit is doing. But if we were a casual observer on the day of Pentecost, I think we would say something powerful was taking place, wouldn't you? And that same Spirit is at work in us today. His power is not diminished. His power is demonstrated in many ways, even today. You see, this was not an isolated incident. For from that day on to today, the Holy Spirit is accessible for those who receive Christ as their Lord because 
the Holy Spirit is received by all who make Jesus the Lord of their life. And this is key to our understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit. He did not just come to help those disciples over 2,000 years ago. He came to live in all who call on the name of the Lord. In verse 39 of Acts 2, we read, this, The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. You know, as we look at our world today, I don't know how many of you feel this way, but it feels like we're, we're living in a pretty corrupt generation. We live in a very corrupt world. I think the same words that Peter spoke to those people could be spoken to us. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And the Holy Spirit is going to play a vital role in that happening. The promise of forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit is for all who come to Jesus. If you're here today and you're a Christian, that means that you made a choice one day that Jesus was going to be the Lord of your life. And when you made that choice, His Spirit came in you. Now the question is, are you allowing Him to move in you? You see, the Holy Spirit wants to change your life just like He changed the lives of those early disciples. You see, it is the presence of the Spirit in our life that promotes that change. He is the difference maker. Now, there is debate among Christians about when we receive the Holy Spirit. There are some who say we receive Him the moment we believe. There are some who say we receive Him when we're baptized into Christ. There are some who say we receive Him when we intentionally seek Him out in some other way. But I will tell you, my personal belief is that the Holy Spirit is working on all of us. He might not be indwelling all of us yet. Remember when we read about what Jesus said to the disciples? The, disciple, the Holy Spirit is working with you, and one day He will be in you. See, I think that is true of all people. I believe the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of our sin, and He moves us to accept Christ. I think the Holy Spirit can work on our conscience. Some people refuse to listen, but the Holy Spirit is working. Even before we became a Christian, I believe the Holy Spirit was seeking us out, stirring within our heart the yearning of our soul, but He wasn't dwelling in us yet. In that sense, the Holy Spirit moves in all people or works on all people. I also believe the Holy Spirit dwells within the souls of those who follow Christ and accept Him. So He's not just on the outside looking in, calling us. He is now on the inside working on our conscience and our heart. I think sometimes people become Christians and they don't even recognize the work of the Spirit. Even though He's present, they don't really think about Him. Sometime later in their walk with Christ, maybe they came to realize that the Holy Spirit is real and then they became more open to the leading of the Spirit. 
Although he has always been working within them, they didn't even recognize it. I believe when you give your life to Christ and you are baptized into Christ, that is when the Spirit of God moves in because that's what the Scripture says. That's the biblical teaching. And when that Spirit moves in, things begin to change. You see, the Holy Spirit brings change. That's what He does. There are several ways in which the Bible tells us the Spirit brings change. First, we become a new creation because of the Spirit. A new creation means that we become different than we were before. You could say we were transformed by the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, we read, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is what? The Spirit. This is what the Spirit does. He molds us more and more into the image of Christ. He's not talking about a physical image. He's talking about a spiritual image. We begin to think differently. We react differently. We live differently. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. You see, the old sinful way of life, we cut off and we leave it behind us. Does that mean we're no longer tempted? Does that mean we don't sin anymore? No, but now we have the Holy Spirit living in us. Paul wrote the Galatians in Galatians 6.15, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the what? New creation. This new creation is what matters. Are you a new creation? If you have the Holy Spirit, you are a new creation. When you look at me after Jesus, I'm not the same person I was before Jesus because of the Holy Spirit. Now, part of this new reality is that we have an internal source of comfort and peace. This is something Jesus had said to the, uh, his disciples and what, about what the Spirit would bring. Jesus described the Spirit. The word translated uh, in the NIV says advocate. There are other passages that translate that word comforter or helper. All of those come from the same Greek word. It literally means called to one side, to come to one's aid. You know, like somebody walking up right beside you, put their arm around you to walk you through something. That is how the Holy Spirit is described. In the first century, the Greek world would have used that word in a court of law to describe a legal assistance or counsel for the defense. It could also refer to one's pleading for another person's cause, an intercessor, if you will. 
So Scripture makes, uh, tells us that Jesus called the Holy Spirit the Comforter, the Advocate, the Intercessor. If you can imagine facing a trial, I don't know if any, I, I don't need to know if any of y'all have been in trial, okay? But if you think about having to stand there all by yourself, sort of defenseless, that would be pretty scary. But how would you feel if, like, the best lawyer in the land came to stand by your side? Having that advocate in your corner is important. But let's say not only is this advocate the best lawyer in the land, but he's also a member of the judge's family. How does that make you feel? Well, I'm feeling pretty good right now. Well, you know, there's God the Father, there's God the Son, there's God the Holy Spirit. And all three are equal. The Holy Spirit is not a lesser God. He's not. Now, would that fact that you now have the Holy Spirit as your advocate, would that give you peace of mind? I think it would. Because we have the Holy Spirit who is God. We have God the Father. We have God the Son. We have God the Spirit living within us. All three are God. God is our judge, but He is also our advocate. When you belong to Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And that Spirit is fighting for you. And that Spirit is leading you to better decisions and choices. Having that Spirit in us brings us peace. We don't have to worry or we don't have to get anxious. I know that we do, but we should know that God has our back. And we know He is working behind the scenes on our behalf. Friends, how grateful are you that God the Holy Spirit has your back? Not only do we have the comfort and peace of that truth, but through the Holy Spirit, we have an internal source of conviction. I think we all need this. When we are about to take a wrong step, the Holy Spirit calls out to us. When we're moving in the wrong direction, the Holy Spirit tries to get our attention. He did this even before we became Christians. You remember we read, when He comes... He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people do not believe in me. So, you know, the thing about recognizing sin, we need to know our sin so that we know how much we need Jesus. Uh, about righteousness because I'm going to be with the Father. Jesus was a perfect human being. He never sinned. But now he's gone. How can we know how to be righteous? Because of the Holy Spirit. And about judgment, because the prince of the world now stands condemned. The Holy Spirit's going to you know, inform us and teach us and train us. So he said all this, and then verse 13, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all that truth. This is what we know about the Spirit's work. The Spirit will convict people of sin even before they respond to Christ. Before you and I became a Christian, the Holy Spirit was calling out to us. 
He didn't live in us yet, but He called us. It's like your neighbor's house, or maybe you're in the house. Let's say you're in the house, and your house is on fire, and you're in the bedroom, and you're asleep, and your neighbor comes out, and they're calling to you, hey, your house is on fire! Well, the Holy Spirit did that with us too. Before we ever became a Christian, the Holy Spirit was calling out to us, your house is on fire! Come out of there! But even after we became Christians, the Holy Spirit is still moving in us to call us. But now, the difference is, He's not outside the house calling. He's inside the house. And He's shaking us awake. And He's saying, we got to get out of here. This house is on fire. So the voice of warning isn't coming from outside the house anymore. It's coming from inside the house. There's a prompting. How many of you have felt that prompting? Raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about. When you're taking the wrong steps, the Holy Spirit is saying, don't do it! When you see something that you should be doing, that Holy Spirit is, come on, bro, you do it. Do it. Do what God wants you to do. Have you been convicted of something in your life? A decision that you need to make? Someone you need to talk with? A life change that needs to happen? A financial decision? You can be assured that as a Christian, the Holy Spirit is moving to convict you in one way or the other. So friend, don't quench the Spirit. Listen to His calling. All of this means that we have the power to be changed. Now, some people don't believe a person can truly change, but I beg to differ. It might be rare, but it certainly does happen. I believe it can only happen when we allow the Holy Spirit to bring about that change in us, when we are listening to the prompting of that Spirit. Paul wrote about the difference between life in the Spirit and life in the flesh. In Galatians chapter 5, we begin reading, So I say, in verse 16, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that they are not to do whatever you, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. See, Paul then went on to describe the acts of the flesh, who we were before the Spirit moved in. Look in verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. Debauchery simply means that you give in to whatever desire you want. You just go for it. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. What does he say? I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then Paul explained a person's changed life through the Holy Spirit. In verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit... It's what? Love, joy, peace. I say patience, they say forbearance, and that 
passage. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You see, friends, the Holy Spirit changes us from the inside out. And by doing so, He helps us to move from the outside in. In other words, we move from being far away from God to being in the very family of God. It's the Holy Spirit that makes us that new creation. And as a new creation, we move away from the sinful acts of the flesh. We begin to live more and more like Christ. Instead of hatred, we show love. Instead of selfishness, we show kindness and gentleness. Instead of faithlessness, we become faithful. Instead of trying to satisfy our own selfish desires, we become selfless. Instead of being out of control, we show self-control. Instead of harsh, vulgar, or angry words, we speak the words of Christ that reveal joy and peace that we've experienced. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is moving in you to do the will of God. How many of you ever heard of a lady named Corey Ten Boom? Anybody heard of her? This was a long time ago. Some of you younger people may not have heard of her. She ought to be in every history book. She's an ama- she was an amazing person. She was a young Dutch Christian who lived during World War II, and her family helped members of the Jewish community escape the Nazis by hiding them. Now, eventually, Corey and her family were caught, and her entire family was sent to a concentration camp. There, she and her sister Betsy did all that they could do to minister to the other prisoners until eventually her sister would die, and in fact, every one of Corey's family members would die in those prisons. Later, Corey wrote, I have a glove here in my hand. The glove cannot do anything by itself. But when my hand is in it, it can do many things. True, it's not the glove, but my hand in the glove that acts. We are gloves. It is the Holy Spirit in us who is the hand who does the job. We have to make room for the hand so that every finger is filled. Friend, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to be the hand and you just be the glove that works in coordination with the Holy Spirit's desires? Are you allowing the Spirit to move through you? Are you tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you listening to the Holy Spirit as He convicts you? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to comfort you and give you peace? If you've accepted Jesus, I want you to have this promise. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. Are you pushing Him aside or are you inviting Him to lead? You still have free will. But the Holy Spirit wants you to submit 
to His will. Now, some of you may be thinking, I don't need to change. I'm just fine the way I am. Well, that's what you need to change. That attitude right there. Because, friends, until we die, or until Jesus comes back, every single one of us has something we need to change. And the Holy Spirit is there to help us. But it begins by submitting to the leading of that Spirit. And when you do, you will experience the blessing of a changed life, and you will become that new creation that God wants you to become. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your spirit. Jesus may not be here physically, but you are with us spiritually. Father, you did not leave us alone. You gave us your spirit. And we pray that you would lead us and guide us through your spirit. Reveal to us your power, Father. Reveal to us your will, I ask you, Father, to forgive us when we have quenched your spirit and pushed your spirit away, when your spirit has prompted us toward an action or prompted us away from an action, and we just didn't listen and we were going to do our thing the way we wanted to. Father, forgive us for that. Change us. May we seek the change that your spirit desires. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray.